Well, good morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's get after it. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Ephesians 5 is where we will be this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, we are experimenting with the worship guides this morning. So if you like them, uh, let us know. And if you don't like them, no hard feelings. Uh, but we uh, just want to know how we can best help you worship as we go through the scriptures. Uh, we'll be in Ephesians 5 this morning in a very um, practical and very uh, powerful text, I think. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, so far in 2011, we've spent three weeks uh, doing a series called Two Ways. And so we looked at the two ways of life that the scriptures lay out. One way leads to life, one way leads to death. And then we saw in Romans 8 how Christ has purchased for us forgiveness and gives us the Holy Spirit to walk on the way of life. And then last week, I missed you guys. Jason was here and he talked about how individual decisions have communal consequences. So decisions that you and I make end up affecting people around us. When we sin, it's not just ourselves that we're hurting, it's the people around us, even if we can't directly see it. And so as we, as a body of Christ, seek to live and walk on the path that leads to life, we need to be aware of how we're relating to each other and how we're building each other up. Uh, This morning, we will uh, look at another text uh, just to get us prepared for 2011, uh, get us making wise decisions, uh, and get us on the right path. And then next week, we will have a congregational meeting right here at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, And so we're going to meet and we will approve the budget for 2011, as well as the leadership nominees uh, for deacons, elders, board positions, things like that. Um, We'll also uh, present to you a couple other things at that meeting. That's that's next week at 10 o'clock right here. And then we'll have a combined service right after that, 1045, uh, where I will, uh, for the sermon, give a state of FCQ. Uh, And so kind of where we've been, what has happened in this past year, uh, some of the things we did that were good and some of the things we did that maybe we didn't do as quite as well as we wanted to, and then where we'll be from 2011. The week after that in February, we'll start up Hebrews, okay? And so we're going to be walking through Hebrews for probably a long time. Uh, We'll break it up into little mini parts uh, of Hebrews. And so we do this here, walk through Scripture, uh, because Scripture is such a foundational piece of the Christian life. Uh, So we'll walk through Hebrews line by line, verse by verse, uh, and see what the Scriptures would say to you and I. I'm real excited about Hebrews, uh, but we'll start in Ephesians 5 this morning. I want to talk about a topic that I think has a direct impact on your personal growth with Christ, your walk with Christ. And then also your impact on the people around you. I mean, just a direct impact. And what I want to talk about is time management. How you and I use our time. It's so easy. I, I, like if, you, if you're just interested in wasting time uh, and, and just kind of entertaining yourself, man, you've hit the jackpot. Have you not? I mean, we've got YouTube. We've got the internet. We've got um, Facebook, right? We've got Xbox. And you can just spend hours upon hours upon hours playing those games. Um, but the scriptures, I think are going to really challenge and convict us about how we use our time and the kind of lives that we're living. So, Ephesians 5. But before we get into Ephesians 5, I want you to look at Ephesians 4, uh, verse 1. The entire book of Ephesians centers around 4.1. He says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's saying here that a Christian life should be appropriate to the grace of God. And this is a theme in Paul's letter. So in Philippians 1.27, he's going to say, he's going to uh, ask us to live a life worthy of the gospel. This is a verse I memorized very early on in my Christian life. He's saying here that our lives, the way we live, the way we walk, should be appropriate, should match, should be balanced. He says should be worthy of the gospel, of the calling that he's given us. 
And Ephesians is largely shaped around this verse. So in chapters 1 through 3, he lays out for us what this calling is that we've received. And in chapter 1, he says, we've been blessed. We've been chosen before the foundations of the world. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed. We've obtained an inheritance. In chapters 2, he says what? We were dead in our sins, and Christ made us alive. We've been saved by grace, a free gift, nothing that we can earn. But in our sin, Christ saved us by grace through faith so that no man may boast. In chapter 3, he prays that they would come to know the, the love of Christ, which is wider and deeper and taller than anything you could imagine, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And then he flips it in chapter 4, and he says, Now I urge you, in light of who God is and what He's done, to live an appropriate life. And in chapter 4, he, he talks about you and I living unified as one, not having divisions among us. And then he, he talks about putting off old sinful practices, walking in holiness. In chapter 5, he starts with, be imitators of God. Walk in love as God is love. And we'll pick it up in chapter 5, uh, verse, verse 15. And Paul's continuing to, to talk to us about what an appropriate life looks like. I think what he's saying here, what, what his point here in Ephesians is, and to you and I this morning, is that if somebody didn't know the gospel, but knew us, so they, they saw us, they saw the way we spent our money, they saw the way we related to our husband and to our wife, to our children, they saw the way we worked, they saw the way we rested and celebrated. If someone were to, to see us and to know us, but not know the gospel, I think what Paul's saying is, he, he, he just wishes it's his prayer that if that person would learn of the gospel, they would say this, that makes sense. It makes sense that they would live that way. I mean, it makes sense that they would treat each other that way if that's really who God is. And that's really how God has saved them. That's really how God has called them. It makes sense that they would work that way. It makes sense that they would spend their money that way. And so Paul, again, in, in verse 15 here, is, is continuing to talk about a life that looks appropriate to the gospel. We'll pick it up in verse 15, Ephesians 5. He says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It was the philosopher Socrates who said, The unexamined life is not worth living. Well, it's the Christian theologian Paul here who says that the Christian life should be an examined life. It should be an examined life. He, he says, look carefully. He says, put a microscope under the way you're walking and look at how you're living. Look at the decisions that you're making. Look carefully then how you walk. Now this is so important. Now I'll tell you why. Time has a way of sneaking up on us. Of even blinding us in some aspects. I mean it does. It has this way of sneaking up and blinding us. And so anyone with kids knows this. I mean, one day you wake up and you're arguing with your teenager, then you go, where did my little bundle of joy go? I mean, how, I mean, what happened? Where did those 15, 16, 17 years go? I was at a high school recently, and, and when I first started college, I was t uh, working at an elementary school, and uh, so I had some kids there that I really liked and had a lot of fun with. Um, and I was at a high school, and one of the kids walked up to me afterwards and was, hey, Mike, what's up? And I'm like, why are you here? Because I'm, I'm in high school, and for the first time in my life, and hopefully the last, I thought, man, I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. Go, you're not in high school? What do you mean you're in high school? No. It, it has this way of sneaking up on us, and we go, where, where did all that time go? I mean, where did those years go? That's a, time of, that's a way of even kind of blinding us. So we make small decisions that, that 
compile and they keep gathering up and then we wake up in a few years and go, man, how did I, I mean, how did I get so out of shape? How did I get in debt? How did I do these things? It's, it's not because you sat down and said, hey, I want to be there, but it's because over time it, it just kind of snuck up on you. It, it blinded you to the decisions you were making. So there's a lot of Christians, Paul says the way around this is to examine your life, I mean, to look at your life. There's a lot of Christians who would probably say today that I'm not where I want to be reading my Bible. So reading the scriptures, I'm not where I want to be. Like I wish I did it more regularly. I wish it was more powerful in my life. There's a lot of uh, Christians who would probably say, man, I'm not where I want to be with my prayer life. I'm just, I just don't pray the way I want to pray. And there's a lot of Christians who say, I think could say this morning, hey, I, I don't have the impact on the people around me that I'd like to have. I mean, I haven't shared my faith in forever. I just, I, I just don't have the impact on the people around me. And now I have a theory, which is a theory, that no Christian sits down and sets that out as a goal. So no Christian has ever sat down and said, hey, in three years I want to wake up and realize that I haven't prayed in six months. In three years I want to wake up and realize I haven't read my Bible in forever. In six years I want to wake up and realize that I have no impact on the friends around me. Now what happens is that we make small choices over time, and then time sneaks up on us and we wake up. We wake up and we realize. And Paul says, the way around this is to look at your life, to regularly check your life, examine it. That we, I mean, we get physical checkups, right? And it's not because necessarily something's going wrong. It's just to, to check things out, to make sure nothing's going wrong, or make sure nothing's starting to go wrong. I think Paul's saying there's some wisdom here to a spiritual checkup, a regular time where you sit down and go, where am I? Proverbs 4.26, just a great proverb. It says this, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. He says what? You want to know where you're going? Look down. Look at your feet. When you want to know where you'll be in two years, look at the choices that you're making today, because they are what's going to take you to where you will end up in two years, three years, five years. And Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but it's wise. He says the, the goal of, of our examination, the goal of our, our checkup, is a life of wisdom. It's a life that's not unwise, but is instead wise. I've been, I was a, a youth pastor for a year, and I've been pastoring uh, here for about two years, so uh, at least three solid years of, of being a pastor in some sort. And a lot of people have come to me with questions. So, should I take this job, or should I take this job? Or should I be in this relationship or not? Or should I go to this college or this college? Uh, things of that nature. And what I've come to realize, what I've I mean, slowly over time noticed this, is that usually for you and I, everyday Christians, the question is not, is this right or is this wrong? Like I really believe most of the questions that we struggle with, that we want an answer for, aren't found black and white in the scriptures. It's not a question of, is this right or is this wrong? Typically, it's a question of, is this wise, or is this not wise? So, for instance, a student comes to me and says, hey, should I go to college at A&M or Texas? Now, I can say with full confidence that God's an Aggie, but that's just, <laughs> that's not in the scriptures. I mean, you're not going to find that verse in the Bible. I've looked. It's not there. The question is not, is it right or wrong? I mean, you're not going to find that. The question is, is that wise or not? Now, occasionally, I mean, occasionally, someone will be like, hey, should I commit adultery? And I'm like, that's in there! That's in there, don't do it! That's in there, that's wrong, don't, no. 
But most of the time, I mean, can we be honest? Most of the time, it's not. So, by God's grace, I'm going to find a, a wife and I'm going to be praying and, and seeking counsel about whether I should marry her. And then, unless her name is Mary or Elizabeth, I'm probably just not going to find her in the scriptures. There's not going to be a verse that says, lock that down. <laughs> I'm going to have to, to, through community, through my relationship with God, ask myself, is this wise? There's a, a pastor and an author named Andy Stanley who wrote a book called The uh, Best Question Ever. And then he said that that's the, the best question ever. Is this wise? Based on my past, where I've been, based on the situation I find myself in, based on where I want to be in the future, is this a good decision for me? Some of the best advice I ever got in my Christian life was to sit down and to make two lists. And on one list, list out the things that stir my affections for Christ. List out the things that make me love Christ more. That make me want Him more. That make me want to press in. Make me want to follow Him. And make that list. And then on the other list, list out the things that rob me of my affections for Christ. That for whatever reason, being around them, or hearing them, or just taking part in them, they, they kind of sap me of spiritual strength and power and motivation. And then the advice was this. Do these things and don't do these things. I mean, spend your life investing in these things and not these things. I think that's such a great practice. I mean, so here's what I think some of the most dangerous things for your Christian walk and for my Christian walk are not bad things. They're neutral or, or even good. Like I think some of the things that are really the most dangerous, like for me, I mean, meth is not a big struggle I have, right? If, someone, if I were to walk outside and someone offered me meth, I'm going to go, no thanks. I've seen way too many documentaries. I'm just not, I'm not interested. It's, it's, I mean, that's not my struggle. I don't think that's some of our struggles. But they're, they're neutral things, or they're even good things that have the potential to turn against us and rob us of our walk with Christ. So, for instance, um, in my life, I very easily get obsessed with sports. Uh, so I love sports. I love watching them. I love talking about them. And for me, if I'm not careful, I fall into that obsessive category, right? Where you start, you know, in stats and... Uh, you, I mean, you, you can say where that guy played junior high baseball and what his stats were, and um, it just gets, I mean, a little ridiculous. And so what happens is, at night, instead of pressing into Christ and getting ready to sleep, I instead turn on SportsCenter and, and spend my time that way. And there's just these small decisions that I make, and then I wake up in three weeks and four weeks, and I go, have I not been in my scriptures? Have I not been praying? And it's because I've been making these small choices. Even neutral or good things sometimes can turn on us. Paul says, know your heart. Examine your life. See where you're going. Are you living a wise life? Or is it unwise? And, and look in verse 16 here. He says that the, the heart of a wise life is the way that you and I use our time. Verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. In the Greek, it, it actually reads that you and I are called to redeem our time. Christians are called to redeem their time. Uh, redeem, this word, it has this meaning of buying. I mean, you buy something and you get something back for it. And so, um, for instance, you're at Chuck E. Cheese, right? And you just got a whole bunch of tickets. You're redeeming them and you're getting something back for them. Now, in the scriptures, this word always has this connotation of buying something for God, for His glory, for His praises. So you and I were redeemed 
for His praise, for His glory. We were bought from sin and death. And then He gets the praise, the glory for it. Paul says, redeem your time. Spend it for God. Spend it for His glory, for His name, for His sake. Here's the interesting thing about time. Assuming that we all get today. Assuming that we get all of today, nothing happens. All of us in this room get 24 hours. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, what kind of family you have, what kind of house you live in, what kind of job you have, what kind of friends you have. You're going to get 24 hours of time. You could be a child, you could be an infant, you could be old. You're going to get 24 hours. And all of us have to spend that time. There's no rollover with time. You don't get to put it in your pocket. You're going to spend, again, assuming we get the day, you're going to spend 24 hours of time. Paul says, what are you spending it on? Are you spending it on yourself or, or entertainment or things that, that don't matter? Are you spending it for God's glory? Time is something you don't get back, right? I mean, we've watched enough movies about time travel, but you don't, it hasn't been made yet. You don't get to go back and get it back. It's also something that you don't know when it's going to end. I mean, you don't know when your time's up. Paul says, redeem your time. Use it for God's glory. Now, there are two errors, I think. If you're looking at a spectrum, a pendulum of time management, there are two errors that we make. Uh, The first is overworking. So it's the guy who goes, 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 uh, and and never really stops or slows down or rests. And then the second, kind of the other end of the spectrum, is laziness. The, the, the guy, the person who, who doesn't really do much, doesn't get much accomplished, uh, just kind of wastes their time. Um, and I think for both of these, the scriptures offer a correction. Uh, so for the person who, who overworks, who just goes, 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 and goes, I think the scriptures would say you need to learn what they call a Sabbath. What they call a time of rest. A time where you stop and realize that the world keeps going without you. A time where you simply are instead of doing. Did you know that in reading the Gospels, even Jesus practiced this? Jesus, I mean, if you read some of the stories, he would have this multitude in front of him. And he'd be healing and preaching and doing these great things. And he would stop and leave. He would stop and leave. So I had a friend tell me the other day that uh, Jesus always had time for people. Well, I mean, that could be true. But in this context, she was saying uh, that you you should never turn anyone down uh, for something. And I said, well, well, wait a minute. Jesus walked away from good things. I mean, he had people to heal, and he walked away and said, I'm done. There are more important things, like me resting and being with God, recharging, relaxing. I think there's some truth here for that. For those of us who just work and work and work and work, the scriptures say, I mean, can, we sleep for about a third of our lives. Have you thought about that? Is that not God kind of telling us, hey, you're not that important? A third of your life, you're not going to be awake? I've said before, I, I, I think there's something holy about a nap. I think there's something holy about saying, I'm done. I've done my work, and I'm resting. I think the scriptures would teach the overworker to Sabbath, to rest. Now, when it comes to laziness... I think the scriptures would say, there's stuff to do. I mean, you need to have a hard, gospel-centered work ethic. You need to, um, I think the scriptures would say, do new things because you're saved, and do all things in a new way. So you do new things. So now you do things that you didn't do before you were a Christian, like volunteering, 
and, and serving and getting plugged into the church and mentoring and witnessing and, and doing things like that. And then you also do things that you always did, but you do them now in a new way. So, for instance, you don't just go to work as a time to make some money and, and just kind of get through, get done with it. But work is a time where you can invest in the people around you. Work is a time where you can be a light in a dark place. And you're not just cleaning the house and taking care of the kids during the day, but now that's a time where you can train your children in righteousness. Where you can prepare your home to be used by God and by Christ and by the Spirit. You do all things in a new way. Have you heard of the 2080 rule? I think I've mentioned it here before. Um, they use this some in organizations, but mainly with churches. There's this principle called the 2080 rule that with a group of people, primarily churches again, what ends up happening is 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And so some people have extrapolated this to organizations. It's just kind of a really a, a sociological principle that when you get a group of people together, for whatever reason, a small portion of those people do most of the work. About 20% do about 80% of the work. And, and so you can, I mean, maybe just a few people are talented enough to do it. Maybe a few people do it all without asking the others. I mean, for whatever reason, a small group, and in my experience, that's pretty true with churches. Whether churches I've been at or churches I've gone to and seen, I mean, you usually get a core small group who shoulder most of the load. But I think in the kingdom of God, there's no place for the 2080 rule. I mean, we've talked about this at length. There's no pastor member divide in the scriptures. All are priests, all are ministers. All should be using their time, Paul says, redeeming it, spending it for God's glory. And he says what in verse 16? Because what? Because the days are evil. I think what he's saying here is that there's work to be done. I mean, there's work to be done because the days are evil. Now, I'm not a, a, a pessimist. I'm an optimist. I've met a lot of people who really love Christ. I think there's a lot of hope for the world. But, but if I watch the news for 30 minutes, I start getting down a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of things that go wrong every day. There just is. I mean... There's a lot of sin and a lot of brokenness and a lot of hurt that's happening in the world. Paul's saying, did you think you could waste time because there's nothing to do? Did you, did you think you could just sit there because there's nothing happening out there that needs the gospel to come transform it? That needs the light to penetrate the darkness? Because there's plenty to do. There's plenty to do. Because the days are evil. It's not like there's been this victory that's been totally enacted where there's nothing to do anymore but there's gospel work to be done around you inside of you with the people that you know so a few months ago uh, we had a Adam our youth pastor at the time was walking our kids through serving the homeless and ministering to the least of these and they had tried to set up a time to go partner with church under the bridge uh, who we're partnering with now uh, but he was going to take the youth here, but it fell through for a couple of reasons. But I came up here to the church on a Sunday morning. Kathleen, his girlfriend, came up and uh, told me that three of our, our kids had actually gone to a bridge and fed the homeless. Uh, and I misheard her, and I was like, oh, they ended up going to church under the bridge without Adam? I mean, they just went? She goes, no, no, they just went to a bridge uh, and, and took a truck and a grill and, and kind of fed some homeless people. And, and so, I mean, what should be happening in my heart at that moment is pride and joy and just like, oh, that's so awesome. But I spent most of my Saturday just kind of lazing around. Uh, I mean, I just kind of watched a couple videos and just kind of hang out with friends and, and didn't do much. And so guess who was feeling a little convicted about how they spent their Saturday? 
I mean, our high schools were out there feeding the homeless, <laughs> um, watching movies with my buddy. That's, that's what he's saying. There's work to be done. Now, there's nothing wrong with rest. Again, I, I said Sabbath is an important principle for us to learn. But to the person who ends up wasting most of their time, the scriptures say, I mean, what do you think's happening? Who's doing it for you? Who's investing in the people around you? Who's cultivating God's spirit in your own life? Let's just make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look in verse 17 here. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, when I'm at high schools, I typically rail on, on the high schoolers. Uh, I mean, it's fairly common to get a high school boy, typically, who spends about like nine hours on Xbox uh, or PlayStation or whatever. Uh, and so, man, I just go off on them and, and no real mercy. I actually got an Xbox for graduation um, and kind of tables turned. Uh, so I understand it a little bit more now. Uh, I mean, the time flies on, on stuff like that, right? Facebook, Farmville, yeah. That hits too home, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, time, time flies on us. And so what he's saying here is, I think, now this is a paraphrase, but I think he's saying, don't think like a high schooler who just thinks everything's a game, right? Who just thinks there's, he says, don't be foolish, don't be stupid. Again, that's a paraphrase. That's not what he said. But he said, don't, don't be foolish. I mean, don't think this is a game that we're playing. Don't think this is just something for us to do whatever we want with. You've been given a gift of life and of time. Just examine it. Use it wisely. Redeem it. Understand that the will of the Lord is not for you to waste your life away. And it's also not for you to work yourself to death. But it's for you to have a Sabbath-centered rest practice and a gospel-centered work ethic. It's for you to redeem your time. Look at verse 18 here. He's going to tell us what the key to this life, this wise life is. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what the key is, according to Paul. It's a command he gives us. He says what? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now this is an interesting command because Scripture itself, Jesus himself in John 3 is going to say, you don't really get to control the Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is like wind. You don't really get to hold it. You don't really get to move it. You kind of feel it when it's there, and you can kind of notice that it's going this way, but there's not much manipulation happening. And then Paul here says, be filled, it's a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the language he uses here is uh, fishing language, it's sailing language. Um, much like if you had, you were out on the lake or the ocean and, and you had a sail and, and you get caught with the wind, you're filled with the wind and then it moves you, it guides you, it directs you. Now I don't know if you have um, any experience sailing. Uh, I have a little experience, uh, a few years ago I was at a camp and uh, one of our weekly activities was to take these four or five sailboats out on the lake and just kind of have fun. Now, sailing, if you didn't know, it's, it's kind of hard. Like, it's not an easy thing. You would think it's just kind of easy. It's not. Uh, and so my boat um, was known as the death boat. Uh, you kind of went to the middle of the lake, and then I took a nap. was like, don't die. And we just kind of sat there for an hour. Uh, and then every time up, we kind of paddled back into the shore. Um, it really wasn't that much fun. I mean, it's just I, I didn't know how to do it. Now, my buddy JP, who was a little richer than I growing up, Grew up with sailboats. And now that kid could sail. 
Uh, so his boat is out there, and they're just, I mean, they're going at it. They're going all around. My kids are like, why can't we be on that boat? Um, but what happened is, so, I mean, by the beginning of the summer, man, I was an awful sailor. It was probably the least favorite part of the week for myself and for whatever unlucky kids got stuck with me on that boat. But by the end of the summer, I wasn't that bad. It was because JP would, would give me kind of tips. He'd say, hey, do this or, or try this. And a couple times I got on the boat with JP, and I kind of saw how he did things. And how he would kind of move himself and, and get in the right um, position and place for the, 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 the wind to kind of gather up and, and move him and take his ship off. By the end of the summer, we could go. I mean, we, were, we were cruising along the, the lake there. I think what he's saying here is that you and I, and we don't control the Spirit, but we position ourselves to be moved by the Spirit. Much like you're in a sailboat. And you don't get to control the wind. You don't get to, to tell the wind what to do. But by practice and by help, you learn how to position yourself to be caught up with the Spirit. You learn that this is where the Spirit is and this is where it's not. This is where it blows hard in my life and and I can be filled up and moved. And he says it directs you, much like wine does. I mean, wine has this ability to, if you've had a little too much, to kind of control you. And things that that aren't as funny seem very funny to you. And you're, you're doing things that aren't, I've heard... Okay? I've heard that wine kind of does this to you. He says, instead of that, let the Spirit position yourself. So this brings us back to the wise life, right? The life we're examining and saying, where does God move in my heart and where does He not move? What are things that I can spend my time doing where the Spirit just fills me up and pulses through my veins and moves me? And where, when I spend my time doing that, does my spiritual strength and love for Christ just get kind of sapped. It gets depleted. This spiritual life, Paul says, is full of thanks and singing and joy, submission to one another. The key to this, the key to a wise life, an examined life, a redeemed life, is the Spirit. Let the Spirit move you. But it requires us being intentional with our lives. So, I'll wrap it up with a question. <coughs> are you proud of the way that you spend your time? I mean, are you proud of the way that you spend your time? Like, I don't think that this conversation will ever happen where you'll be in front of God for whatever reason and He will be a little disappointed in you and go... I gave you the internet, and I gave you Facebook, and I gave you YouTube, I gave you Twitter, and you didn't waste your life on it. You didn't spend it on yourself. Like, I don't think we're ever going to be in front of God and have God be upset with us for not spending time on ourselves, on our own entertainment, on things that don't last. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe that conversation will happen. I don't think it's going to happen. There's a, a pastor in Minnesota who says that Facebook exists for the sole purpose of us never having an excuse for not getting things done. That before God will never have an excuse of saying, well, I didn't have enough time. <coughs> are, are we proud of the way we spend our time? Are we redeeming it? Are we using it for God's glory? Maybe today is a great day to sit down and say, where am I? Where are my feet taking me? What choices am I making? Maybe that will keep us from waking up in a year or two and saying, how did I get here? 
Maybe today's a great day to make a list of things that stir our affections and rob our affections. Maybe today's a great day to see are we living a wise life or not? How are we spending our time? Are we positioning ourselves to be filled with the Spirit? What can we do? Where can we go? What steps can we take? There's tons of ways to serve and to grow here in our community, at the church. So we're partnering with Church Under the Bridge. Once a month we're going out there um, and, and forming relationships with some homeless people, feeding them, clothing them. Uh, we'll be doing it again in February, I think the 15th. Um, we have a partnership with East Fort Bend Human Needs Ministries. They're always looking for volunteers. They're always looking for donations. I think our children's ministry right now is, is looking for um, not necessarily um, teachers, but substitutes. People who would be willing maybe once every two or three months to just fill in if someone's sick. And we're always looking for more people to be deacons and elders and, and to serve and to, to volunteer, to help, to clean. To I mean, there's tons of ways to serve. There's, Paul says that the days are, you, you need to use your time. There's stuff to be done. Jonathan Edwards, an American pastor and theologian, wrote this. He had kind of a list of resolutions. There were things, uh, this was his way of examining his life. This was his list. And he said, I resolve to do this and to this and to this. And his fifth one is this. I resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way that I possibly can. I resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most profitable way that I possibly can. Another one of my favorite quotes is this, that you and I should sleep like everything depends on God and work like everything depends on us. That we should work and work hard. That we should put all of our focus and energy into doing God's kingdom here and now. And then we should go to sleep knowing that He's in charge. Knowing that it's not up to us. Where, where are steps that we need to take? Look, there's no place in the kingdom for workaholic God complexes. But neither is there a place in the kingdom for laziness, for time wasting. My prayer for all of us, my hope is that we would be a people whose lives are appropriate to the gospel. If someone looked at the way we spend our time and then found out about the gospel, they go, that makes sense. It makes sense that he would spend his time that way. It makes sense that she would spend her time that way. It may be said of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time this morning. Uh, I pray that it will be and was used wisely as always, that you would speak and move. Um, I pray that we would be uh, challenged and convicted to obedience, um, to a closer walk with you, and a closer um, outreach to the people around us. Father, use us and be with us. We need you. We thank you for the cross, for your grace, for the gospel. And we pray that that would be our motivation and our fuel to live lives that honor you and glorify you. Be with us. It's in your son's precious and saving name that we pray. Amen.